0: This is Roberto Cervantes, also known as Blue Arms, and you're listening to Tattoo 408. I was always drawing. My mother tells me that she would sit me at a table. She says that I was probably around age three, and she would sit me at the table with pencils and paper and crayons, and I would just stay there for hours. Yeah. Um, she says it looked like a bunch of madness, but
1: What's up, everybody? Ethan Gregory Dodge here with another episode of Tattoo 408. Today, I'm bringing you the first half of my interview with Roberto Cervantes. Rob's been tattooing for a very long time, ever since he was a teenager. He grew up here in San Jose. He's now tattooing in the Central Valley, however, but he has been in his fair share of shops all around the 408. We met up at the Rose Garden in North San Jose and we did the interview outside, which was actually quite a lot of fun. Um, I'm really happy with the audio quality. You're going to hear some kids playing in the background. There's actually a jackhammer in the very distant background. Don't worry, it's not overpowering at all. And some cars and planes and everything like that passing. Here it is, my interview with Roberto Cervantes. Let's start. I always say this at the beginning, and, I, and it's funny, I crack myself up, but let's start from the beginning. What year were you born?
0: I was born in 1976 in Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, Texas. Yes.
1: Okay. How long were you in Texas?
0: Um, not very long. Uh, my family had always um, migrated from Texas to San Jose. Um, my mom and dad would come out here for work purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad had got into some trouble out in Texas. Okay. And so he split um, okay. because he was facing some jail time. Yeah. And um, it wasn't very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it involved, I guess he was sort of thinking that he was going to get, like, a lengthy prison sentence or something like that. hmm But it wasn't. He was mm-hmm. just assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, So he split, and then we followed about three months after. He came to San Jose, back to San Jose after, because he had always came to San Jose for work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he was really familiar with San Jose. So he split and uh, sort of got housing established for us and stuff like that, secured himself a job, and then sent for us. So the family drove out um, about three months later that was 1981. Okay. So I was probably about 4 years old, 5 four years, years old, old. Yeah. yeah.
2: 4 f-
1: maybe 3 or 4. Sorry, I'm just going to adjust this just a Yeah, tiny yeah, that's bit. fine. There we go. So okay, wait, wait, wait. So your parent le- your your parents ties to San Jose, they were working out here.
0: Yeah, my dad was a, a carpenter. Okay. So um you know, he would come out here and work for a few years, him and my mother. My mother worked in laundry services, okay. like for, for commercial laundry, uh-huh. where she would do um, the companies she would work for, would do like the linens for hotels and, uh-huh. you know, the towels, the bedding, all that stuff mm-hmm. um, for restaurants. Mm-hmm. So she worked um, for a company called Berto's in North San Jose. Okay. And my dad was a carpenter. Um all, pretty much his whole life. And, that, and that's what they were doing here in San Jose. In San Jose. Yeah, but yeah. you
1: were, they were going back and forth between Texas yeah, and Yeah, so
0: here. let's say like, you know, back in the 60s, they might have lived here for eight years. Got it. And then go back to Texas see, to I just see. hang out with family and live out in Texas for seven years, then come back to San Jose. Yeah. Um, but this is all my family has ever known, either San Jose, Del Rio, Texas, or Amarillo. Okay. So yeah.
1: So, do you ha- so you have do you have a lot of family in all those places? I have man?
0: a all of my family, both on both sides, my mother and my father's side, is all in Texas. Okay. Um, my immediate family, like my sisters and brothers, are here in San Jose. Okay. Um, but everybody, all my cut. Co- so I grew up without like having cousins yeah. and stuff because like, everybody was in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's How do you crazy. feel about that? I mean, growing up, I mean, I had you know, tons of friends and stuff. So uh-huh. I wasn't sitting there, you know, wondering where my cousins were and stuff. Right. I, I had an understanding that all of the family was in Texas. Mm-hmm. And usually every summer we would, you know, go out to Texas to visit family, like my mom, my mom's family or my dad's family, mm-hmm. you know. So we'd um, drive out there and hang out for the summer. Nice. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed the summers in Del Rio. Yeah. Um, Del Rio is known for um, its huge uh, river that runs right right next door to Del Rio is Mexico mm-hmm. so the border is so right the there is right yeah right so there, in yeah. the summer all the kids would go swimming in the creek and uh-huh. stuff like that in Texas uh-huh. and then right across that creek is Mexico yeah. so you, back then it was just a, a fence mm-hmm. but now they're you know building bigger walls and bigger yeah. fencing and stuff like that
1: did you grow up speaking Spanish or did your parents want I you grew, to assimilate no my fam- <laughs> my mom and dad
0: um spoke Spanish in the house uh-huh. but they were fluent in English okay. um, so they didn't have like heavy Mexican accents or anything mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. because they were more Tex-Mex yeah. you know so um, I don't even know that I have any family in Mexico I know on my dad's side there's a few uncles that are mm-hmm. and aunts that are still in Mexico but I've never met them
2: Yeah,
0: I've only been in Mexico once in my life and mm-hmm. that was for like five minutes when mm-hmm. I seen the depravity mm-hmm. in Mexico uh, it was just something visually that, that I never seen before. And Mm -hmm. I I told my lady, like, let's just go back. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't, I'm not comfortable here. I don't like it. Yeah. So, yeah, there was just extreme poverty. I've never seen children begging or, you know, um, just disheveled in that manner. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it just had such an impact on me where I was like, I don't want to see this. Right. So we left immediately. We were just going to eat and hang out and buy stuff like gifts to bring back home but when i seen what was across the border from mm-hmm. from um imperial valley
2: mm-hmm. um mm-hmm.
0: in southern california i was just like yeah blown away yeah so yeah.
1: yeah yeah i asked because um like actually abraham ortega is a good example he did like he's your your same age but didn't sure. grow up he doesn't speak spanish because his yeah. parents were like want like it was very that was the that was a thing back then like sure. they didn't teach their kids spanish because they they wanted them to assimilate into white culture. Yeah, right? yeah. And, uh, to Americanize. Exactly, but it yeah. sounds so. You it sounds like you grew up speaking Spanish then.
0: My my mom and dad spoke both to us yeah. um, in the household. My dad spoke, um, I would say ninety percent Spanish to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not fluent in Spanish, but okay. I can converse. Yeah, you know, I can converse. I can go to a restaurant and order my food. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm lost, I know how to ask for directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't lost that that fragment of my life. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually proud that I can speak Spanish yeah. and uh, communicate, you know, both languages. Um, oh, yeah. I wish I was more fluent, mm-hmm. you know, but like when I tattoo on clients that are from Mexico, I always let them know that you know my Spanish is a little bit broken. Forgive me, mm-hmm. you know, but they're like, no, nah, man, I understand you clearly. You're good. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: That's dope.
0: But, yeah, my parents never pushed it on us. Like, hey, you got to speak English. You're mm-hmm. you in uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. They spoke both to us. My dad more Spanish when he was angry,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, mm-hmm. which was most of the time. <laughs> um, but my mom spoke a lot of English. But when she would converse with my father, mm-hmm. um, they would always sort of speak in Spanish. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you move here when you're about four. Yeah. And uh, where'd you move to? What part of San Jose?
0: I grew up in North San Jose. Uh, the neighborhood I grew up in is no, doesn't exist anymore. It okay. got de- uh, demolished to extend the San Jose airport and the 101 freeway. Okay. So all alongside Coleman were next to Target and all that stuff. Yep. All across the street were neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It was a huge neighborhood. And I lived right across the freeway, which was, um, Known as Guadalupe Parkway back then, mm-hmm. and all of that got uh, torn out to build new new uh, parts of the freeway and stuff.
2: What so, a shame, man!
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had been notified for years, like eight years before they even started that construction. Mm-hmm. They had notified everybody in the community, like, hey, long-term plans for this area is it's going to get taken out to yeah. um, you know for for the sake of the airport. And extending the freeway, mm-hmm. because back then the 101 freeway across the street from my house, it was just two lanes, mm-hmm. and there was just a fence that would separate the road um, in my neighborhood from the actual expressway. Wow! Just a little chain link fence. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's you know humongous yeah, the 101. Huge.
2: Yeah.
1: What was the what was the racial makeup of that neighborhood?
0: In the neighborhood, it was probably I would say uh, maybe 90 for 95 percent chicanos mm-hmm. um, just on my block yeah it seemed like my block was all the mexicans mm-hmm. but then all the other blocks in that neighborhood were mixed there was some japanese people mm-hmm. that lived in the area mm-hmm. a lot of white people that lived in that neighborhood um, and maybe some chinese people mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah, yeah, yeah but it seems like all the blocks were very beautiful yeah. And they still exist, but mm-hmm. my one street was like. Uh, it's the only one
2: that was gone.
0: It was owned by Caltrans. So all uh-huh. that housing right there, it was like the dirty Mexicans. Oh, man. You yeah. know, like it yeah. was just a poor one street that was just all poor Mexicans. Uh-huh. And I don't know what it, if it was like a lack of pride of ownership or rentership or uh-huh. something like that, but it seems like everybody had like broken down cars in their driveway or uh-huh. old refrigerators on the side uh-huh. of their house and motors and stuff yeah. like that. So that one block that I grew up on was kind of kind of junky,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Every other house was nice, yeah, but a lot of the houses
1: were junky. How old were you when they when they tore it all down?
0: I think I was probably about, I want to say, 15, 16. I had already moved out of that neighborhood mm-hmm. um, because we had moved back to Texas in 1991.
2: Okay.
0: Um, and by the time I came back, a lot of my friends were being extracted from the neighborhood to um, start demolishing that yeah. street. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say 91, 92 is when they began tearing yeah. out that
1: neighborhood. Wow. Yeah. And uh, what was your childhood like on that block, man? Um,
0: childhood was good, man. I, I, I you know, grew up kind of, I didn't grow up a have-not. Mm-hmm. We grew up poor, but um, we never went without. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents worked hard to give us the requirements in mm-hmm. life. You know, I never went without school clothes. I never went hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't have a lot of the extras, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I always grew up. You know, my dad tell, would always teach us to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you want something in life, you're going to have to work for it. There's mm-hmm. there's no free lunches,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. So that was something that was infused into my life early on, like work hard um, and you'll get what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody's going to hand you anything, not even your parents. Yeah. You know, my, my dad would say, get it the same way I do, yeah. work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So if I wanted five bucks, he'd be like, there's a backyard full of weeds, mm-hmm. you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Get it done. Yeah. You know? So my childhood was was uh kind of rough, you know my dad was a rough guy grew up in the in the you know fifties mm-hmm. and um a lot of physical discipline. My dad was a heavy drinker mm-hmm. um, so he was kind of rough on me yeah. um and I was the baby of the family, so I felt like I bared the brunt of that pecking order mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. because of that kind of I I don't know what to call it. I don't know if it's physical abuse or uh, mental abuse that I went through, but Mm -hmm. I broke away from my family very young in my life. I started running away from home um, probably by the age of 11, 12. Mm -hmm. I was running away from home and getting caught up in the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I was on the streets, I started uh, getting involved in, in, I don't want to say gangs, but The guys I was running with were involved in gangs and Mm -hmm. drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found myself getting incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Um, I had um, beat up one of my school teachers for making fun of one of my best friends, childhood best friends. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going away for a number of years. Um, So my childhood was mostly spent in juvenile facilities.
1: Uh
0: Um, And by the time I was released, I was in high school. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, yeah. yeah.
1: How old were you when, when you were locked up the first time?
0: Um, I want to say I started getting locked up at around age 11.
2: Damn. Yeah. You know,
0: for like That's petty really, theft. Yeah. It started mm-hmm. with petty theft and then um, assault and battery, mm-hmm. uh, vandalism, mm-hmm. nothing crazy. The most craziest thing was probably when I beat up my school teacher. And, and yeah. previous to that, I had an incident with another teacher where I had thrown a chair at that teacher Mm -hmm. um, just because I was frustrated with what, you know, I wasn't understanding what they were trying to explain to me as far as the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I lost my temper and threw a chair at that teacher. And um, I ended up getting arrested for that, Mm -hmm. but released shortly after. And they required that I, uh, they extracted me from that school. You know, mm-hmm. like, you can't come to the school anymore because mm-hmm. of the choices you've made. Mm-hmm. And I just always had run-ins at that school, always with the principal, mm-hmm. with teachers. Just a bad kid, you know, always just being the class clown, being mm-hmm. asked to leave the class. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I would do things that would get me arrested. Yeah. You know, so... Um, they had given me not a very lengthy sentence for the first incident with that teacher Mm -hmm. but the second time I was going to school all the way in South San Jose and um, the teacher was making fun of my best friend he had a very bad stuttering problem and um, she was mimicking him you know Mm -hmm. she was like stuttering uh, just like him and that ticked me off so I ended up beating the shit out of this teacher
2: mm-hmm.
0: i was only in sixth or seventh grade mm-hmm. and uh i ran from the incident and got on the school uh, on the city bus mm-hmm. you know on the san jose bus and um the sheriffs pulled over the bus and arrested me on the bus mm-hmm. i don't know how they knew i was on that bus yeah i've always wondered that like how did they know i was on the bus maybe somebody said oh i seen him get on the bus or something yeah. you know if you're looking for that kid he got on the bus yeah but yeah, I got the bus got pulled over, and the sheriff's walked on the bus, and you know I knew it was a wrap. Yeah, I'd been given some chances by the judges that I'd faced previously, and that mm-hmm. that that last arrest, um, I was gone for three years. So
1: damn, and were were you living at home at that point no, no. i had ran away had and i away. was
0: living at the the buddy i'm talking about that had a really bad you stuttering problem he, he became a tattooer as well in okay. ohio mm-hmm. um, his name is john we called him turtle okay um, because he had a huge forehead <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but um john had um, a really bad stuttering problem he had it his whole life um And when the teacher was making fun of his stuttering problem, you know, I lost my temper and just uh, let my hands go. And um, I was living at John's house, Mm -hmm. you know, because I had ran away from home. Yeah. Um, Just because my dad, you know, me and my dad were like oil and water, dude. We just did not mix. Yeah. So um, rather than keep going through that relationship, I said, you know what, I think it's time for me to split. Right. And w- when I look back on that, like, my parents never even came, like, and told me to, like, come home or mm-hmm. sent my f- sisters or brothers, like, hey, make sure he gets home,
2: mm-hmm. get him
0: home, you know? It was yeah. like they allowed me to go about, you know? Yeah. So, you know, when I look back on it now, like, I would never, because allow- I have three grown adult children now, but uh-huh. if none of them ever ran away, but if they did, I would be restless.
1: Right and
0: continue looking for that child to make amends and make sure they get back home, Yeah, you know?
1: So, are your parents still around?
0: No, they both passed away. My mother passed away about seven years back. Uh Um, She had a battle with cancer for many years Uh and going through chemo, and then um, that last battle just ate her up, and, you know, she just sort of faded right before our eyes. Mm -hmm. And my father... Uh, passed away in 1991 Mm. um, in Texas I told you we had moved moved back back in 91 yeah one day I came home from school and there was a big budget truck in front of the house
2: Uh
0: and he was like pack up your stuff like we're moving to Texas it was so sudden like I don't know if him and my mom had planned that move Mm -hmm. and just never told us Mm -hmm. but Yeah, we we moved that same night, you know, we packed up the truck and we headed back to, I had never been to Texas, you Mm. know, before that, just when I was a child when we moved to San Jose. But yeah, we moved to, uh, back to Amarillo and um, two weeks later, my dad died from a massive heart attack. So I seen my dad die right before my eyes. Uh I just remember waking up. I was sort of restless that night, and I uh-huh. right when I fell asleep, it was probably about three or four in the morning.
2: Uh-huh. I
0: just woke up to the screams of my mother, and um, you know she was pleading for my dad not to die, you know, mm-hmm. not to leave her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And his eyes were open, and it looked like he, he, it looked like a fish out of water, like you're gasping for breath,
2: uh-huh.
0: you know. But he, he died right then and there, you know. Holy so shit, yeah. yeah, that was tough. I remember I was trying, we were trying to call nine one one. And because I ran um, across the living room, back then it was just like home, the, the, you know, there was no cellular phones. Mm-hmm, but yeah. because I ran, I broke the wire to the phone. Oh, I tripped shit. over it. Mm-hmm. But I ran across the street and I was banging on doors for someone to call 911 uh-huh. because, you know, my dad was having a heart attack. Right. But, um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't make it. He ended up passing away. And then we stayed in Texas for about another three months and came right back to San Jose buried my father, and then um, I think we all knew that that was just for the sake of my dad to be closer to his family and friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he probably had a heart-to-heart with his doctors and they told, because he had numerous heart surgeries. Uh And I think they told him like, it's a wrap, man. It's Uh not looking too good, you know? And you probably have X amount of calendar days or Uh months or weeks if you're lucky. So do what you gotta do, you know?
1: Goddamn. Yeah, so. So, shit, man. So yeah. You know,
0: sorry, it's so heavy so no, far. No, no, no,
1: no. <laughs> okay, so I am the sucker for a story and anybody's story, and so I like I I I love talking to people about this kind of stuff. I, I mean, okay. I mean, I don't relish in in the fact that you had such a fucking hard life, but like I, I do, I wanna I wanna emphasize that like you were what 15 when your dad died.
0: 15. I had just turned 15 and, right after he right before he passed.
1: So. I just, I want to make sure I understand here. So you you move to San Jose when you're four. You you have an abusive father. You run away at eleven. Yeah. I imagine because like to cope with the abuse of your father you, is why you had those those outbreaks and when when you, when you beat yeah up your teacher yeah
0: a lack of family bonds uh-huh. a lack of me feeling like I wasn't loved. Uh huh. I just sort of felt like if i don't fit what's the point in being here Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because that's how i i felt growing up yeah you know i felt like i don't fit in this picture yeah they make me feel like i don't fit in this picture and i loved everybody in my family Uh i loved my dad like a freaking dog Uh you know loves Uh his owner yeah i never understood why he was so rough and tough on me Mm -hmm. but now i'm very grateful for that relationship because not only did it harden me in life where i was able to face obstacles and situations where i felt like i could do this standing on my head i've been Mm -hmm. through five times worse Mm -hmm. worse than than -hmm. this Mm -hmm. so it it hurts at the same time Mm -hmm. because i'm like how does someone treat a child that way Mm -hmm. um because i can't imagine the things i went through um, reflecting that on my own kids, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, was a dis, I was very disciplinary with my children, mm-hmm. but not like my father, Yeah, you know, my mother, not so much. She mm-hmm. was, she was never the d- disciplinary person. Mm-hmm. She might vocalize something, mm-hmm. but my dad was really rough with me. Mm-hmm. Really, really rough. Yeah. Um, so we just didn't see eye to eye, um, but I think right before he passed, we sort of started to glue things. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't as tough on me. Mm-hmm. I had just gotten released. Yeah. You know, um, was fresh home. And um, I think he was just taking it a day at a time with me. Yeah. You know, and I had made a vow like right after he passed. Like, I don't want to put my mom through no more shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's mm-hmm. time for me to step up to bat and just be a better son, mm-hmm. make better choices, mm-hmm. you know.
1: When, um, when you were in Juvie, did they come visit you?
0: My dad only once. Mm-hmm. My mother every weekend. Yeah. Yeah, she would bring me, like, books to, you know, to mm-hmm. take to my, to have, to mm-hmm. occupy myself. Um, crossword puzzles, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And back then, I don't know how it is now in Juvenile Hall, but back then your parents could bring you like, you know, some candy, bag of chips Mm -hmm. or soda to drink during the visit. Mm -hmm. You couldn't take it to your cell. Mm -hmm. But during your visit, you could have like a Pepsi and Mm -hmm. eat a Snickers or a bag of Doritos or something. Mm -hmm. So I always look forward to those visits. But my dad only once, and that was to let me know that my mom was out of town. She had flew to Texas because my grandmother had passed. Uh So that was an awkward visit. Yeah. Because I had never sat down with my dad to really talk face to face, so it was it was really strange for me to be right across from my dad talking to him. Yeah, because we never spoke like that, you know, uh-huh. like the way we are right now.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It felt odd for me to be that close to my dad without it being an argument. Yeah, or being physical.
1: So it was strange. Did, how how long did that or, uh, did that uh, conversation last? Uh,
0: I want to say the visit back visiting time back then was maybe an hour. Yeah, and um, yeah, he stayed for the entire visit.
1: Was it like? Did you leave feeling happy? That you no, that I was. I,
0: I grew up many years I want to say a lot of those early years before we came back to San Jose I lived with my grandmother Mm -hmm. and she spoiled me so I know we were very close Mm -hmm. Um, of course there was that huge gap of time where I hadn't seen her but I remember going back you know feeling kind of sad for my mother and you know that she had passed and you know that was my first family loss yeah you know losing my grandmother but there had been so many years that I hadn't seen her, spoke with her, Mm -hmm. but, um, I know I was one of her favorite grandchildren. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. And then when you got out, what did you, what did you, how did your dad treat you? How'd your parents treat you?
0: They were cool. You know, um, like I said, they were, we were all taking it a day at a time, you know? Um, my main focus was like, I don't want to get in trouble no more. Mm -hmm. Um, These three years have passed and, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, it was just like, man, I don't want to experience that no more. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of, I just want to get home and try to put my best foot forward and and get situated, you know? Uh Uh Um, So I was happy to be home. I was happy to um, be with my family again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would get visits every like 90 days. I would get to come home for the weekend. Okay. So you know, I would get to come home and spend time, but a lot of that time I would spend hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so when I would get to come home for those weekends, I would hit the streets and hang out with my friends. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Not really stay home. Where were what? When you say hit the streets and hang out with your like where? Where in San Jose was that? North San Jose. Jose Yeah,
0: yeah, North San Jose, just running around, um, hanging out with buddies, you know, whether it be in my neighborhood that I grew up in Mm -hmm. or bouncing around North San Jose, because a lot of the guys I grew up with on the street I grew up with, they would go hang out like on 8th Street, 5th Street, Mm -hmm. 13th Street, Mm -hmm. 12th Street, Mm -hmm. you know, so they would hang out at Baquesto Park. Yeah or go hang out at some girl's house and mm-hmm. stuff or little house parties or mm-hmm. you know get-togethers and stuff. Mm-hmm. We were young, we we'd be drinking and stuff and smoking weed, and yeah. doing shit we weren't supposed to do. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. When um when when did you start drawing? Were you always drawing? Or?
0: I was always drawing. My mother tells me that she would sit me at a table. She says that I was probably around age 3. And she would sit me at the table with pencils and paper and crayons, and I would just stay there for hours. Yeah. Um, she says it looked like a bunch of madness, but when they would ask me, like, "What is that?" You know, I would. Uh, I grew up infatuated with cowboys and Indians.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. So I would say, like, "This is a wagon. Uh-huh. There's four uh, native." Indians right here and they're mm-hmm. attacking the wagon and these mm-hmm. cowboys are going to shoot them. They're mm-hmm. on horses. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, it was something. To them, it just looked like a bunch of madness. Right, right. But she was she said, my mom would tell me, like, yeah, you would sit at the table for hours and just, we could leave you there forever and you would just draw, mm-hmm. you know? So I grew up drawing um, as far as back as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Were either of your parents artists? I mean, your dad was a carpenter.
0: Yeah. My dad... Uh, I believe he was an artist. Uh Um, I just think he kept it hidden because I would see him doodle. Uh uh, And he also tattooed. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, he didn't tattoo all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's where I witnessed it for the very first time is him tattooing on his friends. He would just do hand poke tattoos. He wasn't using machines or anything. Uh But... um, I was amazed that you could take an image and put it on someone's skin.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So, yeah, I saw that early in life, probably age five. Oh, wow. I seen my dad tattooing. Uh And uh, he would, you know, invite his friends over to come and have beers and listen to music and stuff. And Uh while they were partying, my dad would pull out the needle and ink and Uh tattoo on his friends. Yeah. And uh, I seen those tattoos later on after my dad passed. Mm -hmm. And for being hand-poked tattoos... Lines were straight as a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. The images mm-hmm. were good. Yeah. You know, and I remember seeing my dad doodle. Uh-huh. And um, when I look back, he had it. I don't know why he never uh, built on it
2: uh-huh.
0: or why he didn't try to utilize that talent. Yeah. Uh, maybe he thought it wouldn't lead to anything. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, I know he was an artist. And both of my brothers, uh-huh. I remember them drawing when I was, because they're older than me, uh-huh. I remember they would draw and they were excellent artists. Yeah. You know, my brother Gilbert and my brother Richard were excellent artists, uh-huh. but they didn't keep it. They didn't stay with it. I don't know why they didn't stay with it, but they, they both had the capabilities. Yeah. You know, I don't remember any of my sisters being artists. I had three sisters, mm-hmm. um, but I don't remember them drawing, but my brothers and my dad, I remember them drawing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And did, um, so you, you, you liked doing, drawing cowboys and stuff when you were real little. Was Did that fascination remain through your adolescence? Always. Yeah. To this
0: day. I mean, I, yeah. I've always liked watching spaghetti westerns. Okay. okay. Um, I love watching western movies and stuff like that. Uh-huh. 310 to Yuma. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, Young Guns, yeah. stuff like that. I've always liked those kind of movies. Um, the old Clint Eastwood stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Charles Bronson, you yeah. know, all those guys, um, Paul Newman. I just like, like those kind of movies, yeah. you know, I don't know what it was, but my family would say, I n- remember being a little, like three, four years old and I would have the twin six shooters, uh-huh. right. Yeah. And I would, um, wear boots. And I would scream and kick, and my family was, would say, like, yeah, if we tried to take your boots off to go to sleep, you would you would just fuss <laughs> and fight. Like, you refused to go to bed without your boots, you know? And the minute you'd wake up, you'd put your guns on, and, you know,
2: That's so you're awesome. like a cowboy. That's so awesome. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and to this day, I still love all that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Western furniture and paintings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I've always had a fascination with horses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. So... How like through childhood and your adolescence? How often were you drawing?
0: All the time. Yeah. Every day. I remember, like, I would get ins. I, I'd get inspired a lot by what I would watch. Uh huh. So if it wasn't westerns, like, my mom was a big football fan, right? Okay. So on Monday nights, it'd be Monday Night Football. Oh yeah. And you know the game would be on, and so I'd draw images of football players. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, just whatever was in- inspiring. But by by the age of like 9, 10 years old, I started drawing like Chicano gangster shit mm-hmm. because I started seeing it around me a lot more. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of that had to do with a small business my dad had um, yeah. where he would um, do like old English felt letters for people on their jackets. It uh-huh. was like an iron-on business. Uh-huh. And he had these, um, it was a, called the Exotica catalog. Uh-huh. And through this catalog, you can get a bunch of Chicano imagery and it would come on iron-ons. Uh-huh. And so you could iron them on shirts or jackets and all of that imagery, I, it just blew my mind. I'd never yeah. seen no artwork like that. Yeah. So seeing that artwork, I would try to replicate it. Uh-huh. You know, A lot of it was low, low-rider inspired, stuff uh-huh. like that. And then my sisters and my brother, oldest brother were like, cholos and cholas Uh so the Uh way they dressed um the music they listened to a lot of oldies and um they collected this magazine called teen angels magazine Mm -hmm. and it was a magazine dedicated to chicano gangsters Mm -hmm. you would see pictures of Mm gangbangers and prison pen pals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that it was like a magazine that glorified that life Mm -hmm. So in it was a lot of prison artwork uh-huh. and that stuff blew my mind as well. Yeah. So I started replicating a lot of that imagery uh-huh. and just fine-tuning it. And then, and then getting incarcerated young in my life, that's what a lot of the young Chicanos around me liked. You know, smile yeah. and I'll cry laters, uh-huh. you know, the good time, bad time clowns, uh-huh. um, dice, uh-huh. peacocks, ch- Mexican chola girls with big boobs uh-huh. and bullets and stuff uh-huh. like that, guns. Yeah. yeah just all that kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I started drawing a lot of that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, did, were you allowed to draw while you were in juvenile detention? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. you'd get, um, it was called like rec time, or I can't remember what they called it, but
2: uh-huh.
0: for a few hours out of, you had to earn your hourly time out of your, your cell, right? Mm-hmm. So during the morning you'd go to breakfast, and then you'd go to um, school, right? You'd have school, and then um, nighttime activity, you'd be in your cell for a fragment of time, and then they'd let you out to watch either a movie, Mm -hmm. or if you wanted to draw or read a book, you could in the rec area. But you had to work your way. So I think it started off with like 30 minutes out of your cell. Mm -hmm. And then if you had good behavior, then it worked your way up to an hour, then Mm -hmm. two hours, and I think three hours was the maximum time Mm -hmm. before you had to go back into your cell for the night. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I worked my way up to with good behavior to have more drawing time, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to sit. And a lot of guys would say, hey, draw this for my girlfriend. I'm going to write her a letter. It's my mom's birthday coming up. Can you draw her this or that? I want to uh-huh. put it on the envelope. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah.
1: Well, what were those requests that they would get? You, you know, get
0: if and- it was for their girlfriend or something, they'd be like, hey, man, draw me two hearts with two banners going through the hearts with their mm-hmm. names in fancy handwriting. Or it would be like the title of an oldie song, like, I do love you or, uh, uh, you know, sitting in the park, you know, it it would be like an oldie title that they'd want on the envelope Uh or on the drawing, Uh smile, not cry later, you know, with the masks of tragedy and comedy.
1: Like really good tattooing material.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. I mean, for me, it was just a way to sort of get out of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, and just see the appreciation from, from, you know, the fellow inmates. You yeah. know, they sort of gather around you when you're drawing and like, man, you can really draw, dude, that's bad, bro. Can you draw me something, yeah. you know? And I'd be like, yeah, I can draw you something. Um, so, yeah, it was cool. That's dope. And it's a good way to build friendships, you yeah. know? yeah. Because uh, my first real time where I had to sit down and do time I was scared. I was really scared. You see all the other inmates, they're your age, some are older, you know, Uh it might be okay, age 11 through 16 in that Uh pod, Uh you know, or that unit. And uh, seeing a lot of guys that were more serious, more seasoned in the street life. Yeah. You know, you can't show any fear, but, you know, of course, on the inside, you're scared because you hear rumor like, oh, they'll rape you or they'll beat the right. shit out of you. You answer the wrong question and they'll fuck you up. Right. Because it's a rites of passage, you know, um, you're going to have everything is done on a level of respect, you know, right. and, um, you know, you learn to carry yourself yeah. a certain way.
1: Um, so you were you were drawn, always drawing. You saw your dad tattoo somebody else stick and poke when mm-hmm. you were like five. Was the po- the possibility of you becoming a tattooer always in, in the back of your mind? or?
0: I think tattooing planted itself in me at age five. Yeah. Because after that, the hunger to understand it and want to know about it never stopped. Okay. It was like a burning fire in me.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and it, you know, when I look back on my childhood years, it was all around me.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Right around the block was my childhood hero, a guy named Paul Adams, who they called Night Owl. Okay. And he tattooed out of his house. Uh-huh. And then my neighbor, Fred, he was like this kind of like Hell's Angel wannabe, I guess, kind of uh-huh. like a white <laughs> biker. Uh-huh. He wasn't in any biker club, but, you know, I remember he listened to a lot of metal he looked like he'd be in a bike club. Mm-hmm. And he the guys he invited to his house, they were probably real members. Mm-hmm. But Fred worked at like this tech company. Mm-hmm. But on the weekends, he was all about that life. Mm-hmm. During the week, super cool guy. Mm-hmm. But on Friday through Sunday, he was the fucking, he was Satan, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. He'd get high, uh-huh. you know? He'd beat the shit out of his old lady because we uh-huh. could hear her screaming because he'd be drunk and just ended up beating the crap out of her. But they had a guy that would, they would invite over to their house on the weekends. Uh-huh. And I, I think he was from Alabama, uh-huh. but he was this white biker guy, and his name was Polk, Poke, P-O-K-E.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Poke would tattoo out of their kitchen with professional equipment. Mm-hmm. And I would stare through the window watching Polk tattoo Fred and Gail, which were my neighbors, mm-hmm. and their friends. Mm-hmm. And Polk was super cool because he would tell me to come into the house and he would give me the carbon stencils. Okay. And he was the first man that told me, I was probably like eight or nine. Uh-huh. And he would tell me, if your dad has Speed Stick, as long as it's a color deodorant, green, brown, blue, uh-huh. You could smear that on your skin and this transfer will stay on you for about two weeks
1: oh interesting yeah
0: so he gave me it was all white guy tattoos back then (laughs) Uh it was vikings Uh Uh these crazy lions coming out of castles Mm -hmm. dragons like Mm -hmm. like um dungeon uh dungeons and dragons style dragons you know not like uh japanese style Right. right but more the fantasy dragons um Whatever he had tattooed that weekend, he would give me those carbon stencils. Uh-huh. And I wish I would have took took care of them and saved them. I'd love to see what they look like now. Yeah. But I remember thinking, like, he was the best tattooer I had ever seen. Uh-huh. You know, compared to what my dad did and what uh-huh. Paul was doing around the block, Polk was the fucking man because I remember it was all fine line stuff, very uh, illustrative and nicely shaded, like, uh-huh. it just looked crispy and clean. Like, uh-huh. the guy knew what he was doing. He was, he was a great artist. Yeah. And, uh, I was, you know, looking back, I'm very thankful that he shared those carbon stencils with me because it only led to other steps up that ladder for
1: me. Yeah. You know? When was the last time you saw him?
0: I think he stayed with Fred and Gil for an entire summer. Uh-huh. I never saw him after that. Uh-huh. But that summer that he was there, he tattooed all the time. Uh-huh. There was never a shortage of people coming over to get tattooed by Poke. Uh-huh. you know? I know that Gail's brother had invited him out to California, like, mm-hmm. they were both from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, Gail's family was from Alabama, and um, her children were basically like childhood best friends of mine, Mike mm-hmm. and Sean. Mm-hmm. Mike and Sean Hayes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so Gail's family had invited him out, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know why, but he tattooed that entire summer
2: yeah. out
0: of their home. And um, yeah, he was just gone one, one day.
2: Yeah,
0: I never inquired why or what yeah. happened to him or anything. I remember Googling him. Ta- uh-huh. Like I would put in tattoo artist poke Alabama. Right. But nothing would come up. Yeah. You know, nothing would come up. So I don't know if he ended up, pat- by now he's probably dead because back then he was probably in his 30s. Uh-huh. This is in the early 80s. Uh-huh.
2: So
0: if he's not passed away, he's very old, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm almost 50, so uh-huh. he's got to be super old now. <laughs> but, yeah, I always wondered, man, what happened to Poke? you know? Because yeah. I'd love to find out, you know, was he professional? Did he open a shop? Did he right. go around shops? Do Did he do guesswork or just yeah. stay on the streets? Or was he murdered in 1989 in a gang fight? What right. What happened to Polk?
2: Right.
0: If anybody knows, let me know. Yeah. Polk <laughs> from Alabama.
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> So when, when was the first time you tattooed?
0: I started tattooing on myself, um, I want to say 11.
1: What, and I assume it was stick and poke stuff? It was stick saw? and poke uh-huh. at
0: first. Um, when I would see my dad tattoo, uh, and he also had a buddy that he invited over on the weekends that would tattoo, like he tattooed on my brother
2: uh-huh. and
0: he used a prison style tattoo machine. Uh-huh. But I remember thinking that guy, I don't remember his name, but he did really nice uh, tattoo work. And my brother was probably 13 back Uh then. uh And he got this really cool bird on his arm with his nickname. It said Gibby underneath the bird. And it was really nice. And I would always look at my brother's arm like, man, that is such a beautiful bird. And Uh the handwriting is super smooth. Um, So all those little fragments just... um, helped fuel the fire from My dad tattooed, I got my first tattoo at age five from my dad. Oh shit. It wasn't nothing serious. Uh-huh. My older brother Richard and my sister May got far bigger tattoos. Uh-huh. He just lined us up one day and said, I'm gonna tattoo you guys for identification purposes. Guess a lot of kids were getting kidnapped in the 80s and okay. stuff like that. So he wanted to have us marked. Uh-huh. So for me, it was just a few dots on my wrist uh-huh. And they're covered up now. I wish they weren't, uh-huh. you know, because it was my very first real ink in my skin. Yeah. But I was five years old. Interesting. You know, done by my dad with a needle and thread and a little bit of India ink. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, my brother got a really cool heart with his initials from my dad. Uh-huh. And then I think my sister got her little uh, little name on her shoulder uh-huh. or something. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, most of my dad's friend had bigger, more elaborate pieces from him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So. And when I, when I would see those pieces, I would be like, man, they are great tattoos. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why this guy didn't pursue it, you know? Because yeah. he, he had it. Yeah. He really did have it, you know? Yeah. I just don't know if he didn't believe himself or take the craft too serious. Yeah. But um, even my uncles that grew up with my dad um, from my mother's side, because my mother and father grew up together in Del Rio, um they said that he was tattooing as a kid uh-huh. you know doing hand poke stuff and my uncle has this really cool skull with a top hat like uh-huh. a mr lucky tattoo uh-huh. um from my dad and he said that they did that when they were kids and the thing looked amazing yeah. you know i'm like shit for hand poke that's fucking brilliant right you know so i don't know why he dibbled and dabbled one foot in one foot out uh-huh. um, I think if he would have known, like, you can get paid for this, man, and it can open up a lot of doors, I think he would have took it more serious, but I don't know why he didn't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's wild.
0: So another part that really fueled me was that guy, Paul, I told you about, that lived around Uh the block. They called him Night Owl. Yeah. And I idolized that guy because he was this cool cholo dude. He was a white boy, but he grew up in a Mexican neighborhood. (laughs) Okay. Um, But to me, he was the baddest motherfucker in the neighborhood. Uh Uh-huh. You know, his hair was perfectly combed back. Uh His creases were sharp as a tack. Uh He always had like crispy white shirts that had military press. Uh His pants were creased. Oh, he always looked sharp. And he always had chicks that were just very voluptuous. Uh And they looked amazing. They Uh looked like Uh the chicks that you would try to draw, you know. Uh Um, And I remember that he always had a bunch of hickeys around his neck. And I'm like, man, this (laughs) guy's... got the life. Uh And he had tons of tattoos. He was probably only 16 but he had a bunch of gangster tattoos and um, I would go watch him tattoo on people. Uh You know, he would let me hang out in the kitchen and watch him. And um, I I would always beg him to make me some tattoo machines. Uh And he would sort of brush me off like, man, you're just a little kid, dude. Uh Get out of here with that shit. Uh Um, Then I think he's seen The Hunger. So he started asking me to go downtown and steal him bottles of India ink. Okay.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And he told me the particular brand he liked, which uh-huh. was Pelican. He's like, I don't care if it's the orange label or the orange label, uh-huh. just make sure it says Pelican India ink. Uh-huh. He's like, it'll come in a calligraphy pack. Uh-huh. Don't bring me anything that's in the calligraphy pack. Just get the bottle of ink,
2: uh-huh. bring
0: it to me and I'll build you some tattoo machines. Uh-huh. So I must have told him I'd say maybe about 50 bottles of India ink. Damn. And he never gave me any tattoo machines. Oh, man. But (laughs) finally, I had got caught stealing that India ink Uh from Woolworths, downtown San Jose. Um, I didn't even know that I had been arrested. I stole the bottle of ink, put it in my pocket, left Woolworths, Uh and walked to the light rail station. And then when the doors opened up to the light rail train, I tried to get on it, but I noticed that I was cuffed to these bars. What the... So the yeah. cop followed me from Woolworths, the undercover uh-huh. cop that was in the store, and I didn't even know that he had put cuffs around my wrist. So when the Whoa. door opened, I went to get on the train, and whoops, I'm stuck to this damn pole, dude.
2: That's true. And right? I
0: looked back, and he's like, you didn't even feel me put the cuffs on you, man. And I'm just like, Whoa whoa what you know like or anything no, or, no no i mean he must have did it so quiet or yeah. i don't know dude but i know i didn't feel him put any cuffs on my wrist uh-huh. and it was like to a bar that was around this tree uh-huh. you know growing um so he took me back to woolworth's and arrested me for petty theft i didn't think he was going to run me in but he did uh-huh. so i was probably in juvie for like three days uh-huh. and then when i got out i went immediately to paul's house night house. And I told him, look, man, I want some machines, dude. I've been stealing you bottles of ink. I finally got arrested. I didn't fucking rat on you or anything. I want my fucking machines. You know, no more fucking bullshit. So he had gave me two small homemade tattoo machines in this cool little tin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went home and started tattooing on my legs. Uh And then um, showed some of my friends and started tattooing on my buddies. Yeah. Yeah, How old I was were you? probably 11 or 12. 11 or 12.
1: Yeah. Hey, but you said your first one was a handpoke one that you did Yeah, yourself? I
0: did. I, had, I would always look for my dad's, like, where does he keep that bottle of ink? Yeah. You know, I would look for it and look for it. And I, you know, thinking back, like, I should have just stole my own bottle, uh-huh. you know, from Wars, because uh-huh. I was stealing them for Paul all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would always look for my dad's stuff and could never find it. huh. Um, but I finally figured it out and I remember doing a spider web um and a block letter SJ on my leg um, and showed my friends and they were uh-huh. like, Yeah, I'm
1: next. What was, oh SJ for San Jose. Duh. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was like, what was yeah. SJ for? Duh. That's funny. Dude. Yeah. So okay, so you get the tattoo machines from Paul. You start doing you did. you did do you still have these tattoos that you did on your legs?
0: Sort of. I tried to cover them up because I was embarrassed of the crude work. Okay. You know, it was pretty crude. Uh-huh. So I tried to cover it. Some of it still exists. Like uh-huh. you could sort of see see it a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I tried to cover it up as I evolved in tattooing. I was like, that stuff's cheesy. Cover that <laughs> shit up. And then the stuff I tried to cover it up with was even cheesier.
2: Okay. You know, uh-huh. so, Yeah.
0: you know, I was just exploring different Taste and tattooing stuff that I thought would be cool to have. Yeah. So I try to cover that old stuff up. Yeah. And uh, it was just practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I shouldn't have been tattooing. Uh huh. But I was just too hungry to let it go. Uh-huh.
1: You know, I wouldn't let it. I wouldn't let it rest. So, so you got the machines and you started tattooing. How often were you tattooing? And as
0: much as I could uh-huh. on anybody I could. So in high school, you know. It, you always meet people that want to get tattooed your uh-huh. friends see you drawing and you uh-huh. tell them you tattoo and they're like oh I, I would get that or you know could uh-huh. you do this on me uh-huh. like yeah of course you know and um, it was a way for me to make a couple of bucks and I was just happy that I didn't have to ask my mom for any money uh-huh. you know like yeah. mom could I have 10 bucks for the bus or yeah. to get lunch at school yeah. so this was an able, uh, a way for me to provide for myself uh-huh. and uh, not need for anything
1: What did your parents think about
0: it? My dad hated it. When he would find my equipment, he would throw it away, break it up. Uh But by then, I knew how to make homemade tattoo machines. So I'm Uh like, I can go to Radio Shack, buy a bag of little RC motors and, Uh you know, a toothbrush or a spoon. Like, it's not hard to build a tattoo machine. Uh You know, I learned so many different variations of prison-style tattoo machines, Uh some that look this way, some that Uh operate that way. There's a million different kinds. Right. You know, but I just used what I thought I liked for that, for that particular style of machine and, um, learned how to make some with long throws and short uh-huh. throws and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah. Stayed using that kind of machine for a number of years. Yeah. 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 You know, wasn't ah. very sanitary, right? but uh, you know, <laughs> you learn the basics like, Hey, you could take this apart, clean it out with bleach and water mm-hmm. and do this and do that. But yeah that's still not sanitary and it doesn't guarantee that you're not spreading any kind of diseases or right. infection control or anything like that. Right.
1: Right. You know. So, when you got those first machines from Paul, you said you were like 11.
0: 11 or 12, yeah.
1: Was it before you went to Ju- to Juvie or No,
0: I had already been getting locked up.
1: But yeah. the one, when when you beat up your teacher. Yeah. Uh, it was before or after? That was that was a few years out, right after right so, after you got
0: the machine. Yeah, I, th- I think I was in 6th grade. So I had been around 12 years old okay. when that happened.
1: And so yeah. um did you did did you do any tattooing while locked up?
0: I did um attempt it. Uh-huh. But it the way it worked is like the counselors were constantly checking in on your room.
2: Uh-huh.
0: You know, so you really couldn't sit there and do anything elaborate uh-huh. it, it would have to be super quick uh-huh. and then you know if you got caught with a tattoo or tattooing it's just going to add to your sentence and it's going to mm-hmm. take you longer to get home mm-hmm. and my main thing was like I, I want the fuck out of here right. You know, I want to get home right. and one mm-hmm. of the biggest things was you had to have excellent grades to earn your way back home that yeah. was part of the program like uh-huh. if you don't have good grades you don't leave uh-huh. so um that was the first time, in and my experience with education, in school-wise, school-wise, where I had like A's and B's, mm-hmm. you know, and my teachers were always telling me like, you have tons of potential, you know, uh-huh. you you should really sit down and buckle down and. Uh-huh you know figure out what you want to do because you have tons of potential Uh but i had never dedicated myself to school prior to that i always i just felt like school wasn't for me Uh you know school wasn't for me i didn't i was always the class clown Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um trying to make people laugh and shit like that but it would get me kicked out of class yeah you know um now i look back on it and it was idiotic like I can't imagine, like, being that way now. Like, uh-huh. just, uh-huh. hey, I want all eyes on me. I think it was just a grab for attention. Yeah. You know? wanting yeah. people to look at you and yeah. pay attention to you. Yeah. But...
1: So, your are tattooing friends through high school and mm-hmm. everything. Um, what kind of... S- I mean you it wasn't most they you, you said they wanted a lot of like Chicano stuff some of your friends was was it mostly Chicano yeah it was it had? was
0: like you know old English letters yeah. it was nothing as far as imagery is concerned it was nothing too crazy okay maybe a rose mm-hmm. some small not cry later masks
2: uh-huh.
0: um, once I got into high school the imagery got more serious okay because then the guys are getting involved with gangs Uh and the imagery that's involved with that stuff, they want to sort of have that gangster look. Uh So for that gangster look requires that you have some gangster shit on you. So now they wanted more bigger work and the imagery was still Chicano based, but now there's no more small roses in handwriting. Now Uh it's like asking for big old English words across their back, be Uh it their last name or their neighborhood. Or now they want, like, these uh, big clown faces and, you know, maybe some peacock feathers going through it. All Uh collage-style work. You know, a lot lot of Chicanos get collage-style work. Yeah. Where they want everything to fuse and melt together, you know.
1: What high school did you go to?
0: What high school didn't I I go to? (laughs) (laughs) I went to all of them, dude. Yeah. I don't think there's a high school in Santa Clara County that I haven't been to. Uh, Yeah, I went to so many high schools. I I went to Lincoln right across the street for, like, a week. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I think the longest school I was at was a continuation school called Broadway. Okay. I know it doesn't exist anymore, um, but it was called Broadway. And then I spent about a year at Mount Pleasant. Okay. On the east side. Yeah. Because my family had moved to the east. My mom had got out, started renting a home on the east side. Okay. So I grew up on the east side. Yeah. A little bit, just for a few years. Okay. You know, so... Um, but yeah, I started tattooing on a, lot, a couple guys from the east side, a couple guys from the west side, a couple dudes from the north, uh, uh-huh. all over San uh-huh. Jose, south yeah. side. Because people would call you and be like, "Hey, can you come and tattoo here? Yeah. Or, We're gonna be partying over here at this motel. Blah blah blah. Wants to get tatted." Yeah. Back then they'd say "tatted," you know? Yeah. Yeah, she wants to get tatted. She has fifty bucks. <laughs> you know, fifty bucks for me was like a thousand. Yeah. You know, because all I required was cigarettes and coca-colas yeah that was my thing so yeah uh i never got involved with drugs Uh you know i I wasn't big on drugs i I would smoke weed you know as a Uh teenager um but never had an appetite or a wonder of like what's coke like or Uh what's what's uh meth-like you know mm-hmm. i never got involved with crank or crystal none of that shit. i just never had a curiosity for it
2: uh-huh.
0: um, so and i was never a big drinker because my dad was a heavy drinker so i grew up despising it you know so i never got involved with drinking mm-hmm. i might have a 40 here and there mm-hmm. as a teenager your friends are drinking so yeah. you just partake but yeah i never was one of those men that sat down and cracked beers after work and, uh-huh. you know never yeah never was never found in a bar or nothing like that uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah
1: did um, did you ever, when you were tattooing at these parties and over on the east side and stuff, did you ever meet Oso?
0: No, but I grew up admiring his work. Yeah. Um, there was a handful of Chicano tattooers that I followed growing up. Um, Dale Cordoba is one, uh-huh. big Oso. Uh-huh. His brother also tattooed. He okay. had a brother named Gypsy. Okay. Um, I don't know Gypsy's first name, but I know they were the Cordoba brothers, uh-huh. um, Dale Cordoba. And what f- I would always bump into people that had his work. Uh-huh. And f- what I believe that made his work a standout was very clean lines, very fine lines that were super crispy, uh-huh. good saturation, mm-hmm. no blowouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, they call it pepper shading.
2: Yeah.
0: Some people call it powder shading. But his shading was just amazing. Uh-huh. And he was known for like these Aztec Aztec images, his uh-huh. girls. I really loved the way he did hair.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I liked the way that the hair he did on females looked. Uh-huh. Um, and I loved his pepper shading. Mm. I, it was just a standout. I've seen tons of tattoo work on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, for San Jose, I think mm-hmm. Dale is the crown holder. Yeah. You know, yeah. as far as street tattooing yeah. prison style tattooing it was to me the king of that in San Jose would be also.
1: yeah yeah he comes up in any time I talk to somebody that was tattooing I've never
0: side, he comes yeah up all the time but I've never seen any of his actual artwork uh-huh. like you know was was he uh, uh someone that just replicated from Hustler magazines and Playboys uh-huh. or whatever. I, I've never seen like, here's these prison envelopes that Dale drew, uh-huh. or here's a bunch of artwork that he did in prison. Uh-huh. I've never seen real true artwork, only tattoo work. Uh-huh. So I would love to see some of his actual artwork. And I know Abraham had a friend that had said that he had a stockpile of artwork from Dale, like oh, really? actual artwork. Yeah, um, I, don't, I think his name was Edgar. And I remember Edgar saying he inherited a bunch of also's artwork. Uh Um, And I would always tell Abraham, man, you got to get that artwork so we can photograph it and document it. Because Dale is such a staple in Chicano street tattooing in San Jose. But there was a number of tattooers in San Jose in the 80s that were gifted. Why they never went professional, I'll never know. But there was guys like... Um, Spray, uh, Spray, I think his first name is either Robert or Joseph, he, uh-huh. he's from the north side. Um, and I got tattooed by Spray because there was this like tattoo feud between me and him uh-huh. um, where like, who's better, uh-huh. you know, who's a better artist. So he told me, you know, word got to me like Spray says he wants to tattoo you and then you tattoo on him and you guys can figure out who's better. <laughs> so I went to his apartment uh-huh. You know, and I told him, hey, man, I'm fucking Rob." you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they told me to come down and see what you're about. Uh So he's like, yeah, sit on the chair. I'm going to fucking blast on you and then you can blast on me. Uh And so I went first, which was stupid.
2: Uh Um,
0: But he did a great tattoo on me. Uh You know, it still looks pretty cool, you know, for Uh for prison style work. Uh It held up over the years. But when it was time for him to get tattooed, he was like, yeah, maybe I'll get it tomorrow, man, if you want to come back tomorrow uh-huh. or, you know, come back the next day. Because yeah. it was already late, you uh-huh. know? It was probably like 2 in the morning when I left his house. Uh-huh. He took forever to tattoo on me. But uh, nothing close to Oso's work. Yeah. He did great work. Um, spray is his, is what he goes by. Uh-huh. Um, there was another guy named Simone Paul uh-huh. that was really good out of East San Jose, I believe. Um, a guy named um, Felipe from Hayward Uh that was amazing amazing Uh probably like the also of the East Bay Uh Um, I don't know his nickname but his name was Felipe and I know he died from heroin use Uh back in the early 2000s but everywhere I went in the East Bay they would be like Felipe did this Felipe Uh did this and then there was another guy named Martin out Uh in Hayward area Um, Uh Skeeto out of um Mountain View, uh-huh. which is a cool tattoo name, you know, Mosquito. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Mosquito's Nito. <laughs> um, yeah, Mosquito out of Mountain View was a name I would always hear a lot. There was a lot. Um, Steven Soto out of East San Jose. Chono uh-huh. was a huge name in the 90s tattooing. Um, and me and Chono's family go back all the way to Texas. Okay. So Chono's uncle, uh, Chono's cousin, Herman, who I met when we moved back to Amarillo. His brother Goons had passed away in the early 80s, but he was also on the pursuit to become a tattooer. Uh So he had a box of professional equipment and Herman would allow for me and Chono to use that equipment. Uh And I remember there was this artist that lived across the street from Herman. I think his name was Hitler. They called him Hitler because he had a birthmark that was just a square underneath his nose. Oh,
1: interesting. Okay.
0: But his artwork, um, I wish I had copies of it, but his artwork was some of the best artwork I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. He was light years ahead of any Chicano I had ever seen at that time. Just the, he had, I don't know if he had formal art classes, Mm -hmm. but the way he drew noses, eyes, women's breasts, Uh you can tell he had a better understanding of how to draw than anything I had ever seen before. Uh He did amazing bandana art, Uh you know, because a lot of guys in prison draw on the um, bandanas. Uh And I was um, gifted these two bandanas from Herman, Chono's uncle. Uh They were stolen from me. But they're still fresh in my mind, and that Uh, artwork was just mind-blowing, just fuck. To this day, I've only seen maybe three or four artists that could draw on that level, Uh you know? It was just amazing artwork, Yeah, amazing collages, just the way he blended, you know, this to that, to this to that. I've Uh never seen anybody else draw like that. Uh Um, Abraham Ortega, his drawing Uh reminds me a little bit of that guy here. Reminds me a little bit of that guy, Hitler, Uh you know, Uh um, because I would watch Abraham draw a lot as well. And uh, what fascinated me about Abraham's drawing is that he could draw any car from memory. Uh You know, he could draw a 47 Fleetline at the drop of a dime. Uh You tell him to draw a 53 Bel Air, he could draw it at the drop of a dime Uh without needing to see reference. Uh You know, um, how many circles make a tire and a rim, you know, Abraham could do it. Yeah. You know, he knows how many circles are needed to make a wire-spoke rim in a uh-huh. drawing. Uh-huh. So it always Abe always fascinated me by his um, understanding of automobiles. Um, he draws great women, um, but Hitler is probably one of the best artists I've ever seen. Yeah. And he he was from Amarillo, Texas. Huh. So I would Herman had gifted me a stack of copies of his artwork. Uh-huh. You know, and I don't know why I didn't hold on to that artwork. I lost it over the years, um, but it was amazing artwork. I wish I had it, man, because it was fucking amazing. Yeah. Amazing art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, do you need to take a break? No. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Um, when did you start tattooing professionally? What's... uh?
0: 1996.
1: Okay. 96, so you were like 20.
0: I don't know what age I was in nineteen ninety six. You said you were because I'm 76? forty. I'm forty seven now. I just turned forty seven. Wait, oh shit! What year so, you're uh, born? seventy six September seventy six of seventy six, and you were started tattooing,
1: 90, tattooing professionally in ninety
0: six. In so yes, okay. not in a shop. No more homemade equipment. Right. No more India ink. My, who is still um, the lady I'm with to this day. Uh-huh. Her name is Madi Maria. Uh-huh. Um, Maddie had surprised me with a gift of professional equipment that she had bought oh, for nice. me. Uh-huh. So she had bought me two professional machines, the whole setup, you uh-huh. know, the power pack, the pedals, the clip cord, pigments, yeah. everything. It was a Joe Kaplan set. Okay. Um, I wish I would have held on to those machines because they were my first professional machines. Right. I ended up selling them, um, not thinking to hold on to that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they're gone now, but I got it tattooed on me. Um yeah that
2: machine. But yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: cuz I was like, man, I let it go, but I want a way to keep it forever, so I'm going to get the image of it tattooed on me. Is that
1: what what's here?
0: No, it's right here. It's, right it's there. that that was done by um I forget his name right now and I feel so bad, but he worked for Jack Rudy. It's super oh, light. It yeah. washed out so much. But yeah, yeah it's that still, it still that's looks the, really yeah, good that's the east it's uh called an east coast frame. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I had it tattooed on me. Um, Yeah. But that was my first equipment in 96, and that's when I started, like, doing research on infection control, Uh knowing to wear gloves, Uh you know, um, and looking into disposable equipment. It was just barely coming out where you could order, you know, a 10-pack of disposable needles. Um, Disposable tubes were barely coming out. Uh Uh-huh. So... You know, it was kind of, the, the stuff that was disposable wasn't the best yet. Uh-huh. You know, it was kind of corny stuff. Yeah. But it was a way to not have to worry about having to autoclave and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah.
1: Um, did, uh, so, you, you, got the, you got the machines, but you said you weren't tattooing in a shop at first.
0: No, I was still tattooing from home. Okay. So, I would care for my three children during the day.
1: Uh-huh. My lady
0: would go to work. And then once she would get home from work, I'd have clients booked all night. Really? Yeah. I was living in the East Bay back then. Okay. I was living in Hayward. Okay. But I would tattoo on guys from San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward,
2: Uh
0: um, El Cerrito, Richmond, Uh a bunch of black guys Uh that were working at the oil refinery. And they would, I tattooed on one or two brothers that came to the the house to get tattooed that were referred to me. Uh And then all of a sudden I was tattooing on the entire company Uh and then their uncles and their cousins. So... I don't want to sound harsh, but tattooing on black people, you can get away with a lot.
2: Okay. You know, because, uh-huh. you know, the darker the skin, like, uh-huh.
0: it doesn't really show up. So uh-huh. you don't have to focus too much on detail work Okay. or, you know, anything uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of them would have keloided tattoos. Uh-huh. So they thought that their tattoos were supposed to look like that. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, man, make it 3D, bruh. Uh-huh. You know, and I'd be like, no, that's not 3D. That's because they went too deep. So uh-huh. it keloided and scarred, and they, yeah. they thought they were 3D tattoos.
1: Interesting. You know,
0: but they're not. They're not. <laughs> no so you're such thing. Like
1: the, you're saying like the... There's, the their, skin like raise, their skin would raise... No, oh, the, the skin, skin would raise out. It, it would
0: be keloided and uh-huh. raised out, and they thought it was supposed to look like that, and they yeah. thought it was 3D. Uh-huh. Like the tattoo artist would say like, yeah, that's 3D, bro. Uh-huh. You know? That's why your mom's eyes pop out of the skin because, you know what I mean? Or (laughs) whatever. And the guys thought that it was legit. Interesting. And I would correct them like, no, dude, that's... They went so deep that they fucked you up and Uh scarred you and now it's keloided, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Interesting. Um, How old were you when you had your kids?
0: 17. Okay. I became a father. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, 17. Um, That my first... Child was my, my son, Rob. The phone fell, huh? You yeah, let me Picked that, that up, it. yeah. Oh. That doesn't have a clamp. Oh, it's we'll just call that kid. Um, nah, I was just
1: sitting on this little thing. Anyway, I was gonna call, which is why it started vibrating. Anyway, all right, so you're 17.
0: 17, when I become a father, um, that was my son, Rob. Uh-huh. Um, and that really helped me sort of focus in, start start focusing in on, on not only trying harder to achieve what I wanted to achieve as far as the pursuit to tattoo professionally.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, how do I get into a shop? Because even as a kid, even as a 10, 12 years old, I would crack open the yellow pages and see... Eddie's Skinworks, uh, mm-hmm. Dragon Tattoo, Zap yep. Tattoo. I would see all these tattoo shops and I would ride my bike to these shops, mm-hmm. right? And just sort of peek in the window, mm-hmm. uh, walk into Zaps. Some of them would run you off, but if they were busy on the weekend, they didn't have time to run you off because they were tattooing. Mm-hmm. So you could look at all the flash and uh-huh. I would try to make mental copies in my head, you uh-huh. know, make take mental notes of these cool images I liked. One thing that was really cool as a teenager is that my sister Gloria and her husband at the time would get tattooed a lot uh-huh. in professional shops. Uh-huh. So they would take me with them because they knew I loved tattooing. Mm-hmm. So I would get to witness my sister and her husband at the time get tattooed. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'd go all over to get tattooed. They'd, they just didn't stick with one artist. they uh-huh. oh, we found this guy, uh, in alameda so Uh we're going to go to this shop you want to come you know Mm -hmm. and i'd go with them and get to check it out and my sister had lived in the east bay for a number of years and uh, phil sims had a shop called east bay tattoo right on mission in hayward Uh and that was probably one of the first professional shops where i walked in and i seen chicano artwork that was being done professionally like as far as tattoo flash Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and it was all phil sims artwork on the wall and his artwork blew my mind as well. I was uh-huh. just like, fuck, how's he getting this shading on paper? Uh-huh. Like it just looked amazing. It's so sm- soft and smooth.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I didn't know how he was doing it, but I would try to dissect it. You know, is that ballpoint pen? What the fuck? Is, that can't be pencil. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's not pencil. I didn't know what it was. Now it's indie ink and water. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. just tattoo flash. Yeah. Um, but back then I didn't know how to decipher it. I would try right. and go home and try to do a ballpoint pen like that. And I'm like, Uh how's he doing that shading it's Uh so smooth what's he doing it's he's not smearing his finger with lead you know Uh what I mean right it didn't it didn't have that look it just looks so different yeah but yeah it was Phil Sims, East Bay tattoo and um yeah I was just surrounded by it man so I was always constantly trying to know about it yeah I remember walking into Pinky and one thing that left an impression on me is the spark coming off of his tattoo machine he had such a big arc uh-huh. coming off those springs I don't know if his machines back then didn't have capacitors but there's this big blue illumination coming off that contact point in those springs interesting and I thought it was the coolest fucking thing it looked like lightning to me you know uh-huh. what I mean I'm like fuck that dude's machine's got fucking lightning coming uh-huh. off of it dude uh-huh. that's fucking amazing uh-huh. my rotaries don't do that <laughs> you know so I was looking at those machines and hearing the buzz and uh-huh. you know like I don't know why everybody had the experience of Pinky's wife running them off. Yeah. She was just trying to inquire, like, do you want a tattoo? You want a tattoo? Uh-huh. She would come out and try to hustle for her husband. Uh-huh. But a lot of people felt uncomfortable with her approach. Uh-huh. But she wasn't very flu- fluent in English, uh-huh. you know, so I think people just felt uncomfortable. Right. She could be a pushy, uh-huh. but she never ran me out of the
2: shop
1: yeah
0: you know and i was just a little kid back then i'd uh-huh. have my bark parked right my bike parked right in the front of the shop and uh-huh. i'd be in there looking at all his flash and he did it all you know uh-huh. yeah. raider raider badges raider logos laker logos samity sam tasmanian devils dragons tigers like uh-huh. he did everything You looked through his flashbook and all it, what's really cool is that it was all his artwork uh-huh. you know whether he, it was replicated or whatever, he put in the time to like draw it, you uh-huh. know? So I thought that was amazing. And then all the photographs of all the people that got tattooed by him. Uh-huh. Nobody does that stuff no more. Yeah. You know, they were just like Polaroids or whatever, but that was cool that he documented all that stuff and sort of had a wall of fame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's my uncle. That's my aunt. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, that's really cool.
1: That is cool. Um, so when did you start tattooing in the a shop then?
0: Shortly after 1996, I want to say 97, 98, I had been calling a bunch of shops in the Yellow Pages Uh asking if they were hiring or looking for a tattoo artist. And most of them said no. Uh And then um, this shop that I called, I was just very honest with them. Uh And I said, look, I'm just looking for a break. Like I've pursued this my whole life. I have tons of my original artwork. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. I've tattooed for years, uh-huh. unprofessionally.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I have professional equipment now. Uh-huh. And in my eyes, I believe that I have promise. Uh-huh. I just need someone to give me the chance. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that I don't know. Yeah. So the guy asked me over the phone, his name was Ralph. He's like, do you have a problem with homosexuals or lesbians?
2: Uh-huh.
0: And I said, no. And he goes, well, why don't you come down to the shop? and bring us three of your best tattoos
2: uh-huh.
0: in the flesh. Okay. So I grabbed my sister who had some work from me, my brother-in-law,
2: uh-huh.
0: and I think one of my other friends.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Might have been my brother-in-law, I forget. But I took them into the shop and I had freshly done this Aztec warrior on my brother-in-law, uh-huh. right off this Jesus Helgueta calendar. He's a very famous Mexican painter in, uh-huh. from the 30s period. but. Um, most Mexicans have Jesus Helgueta paintings in their kitchen because they uh-huh. still use his paintings for Mexican calendars. Okay. So a lot of Mexican families, you walk into their kitchen, they have those calendars hanging uh-huh. up on their fridge or on uh-huh. their walls. But that's Jesus Helgueta paintings. Okay. Um, so I grew up admiring that man's artwork, and I would use it for tattoos. Uh-huh. Um, people always wanted his images tattooed on them. So I was lucky enough to tattoo this Aztec warrior on my brother-in-law we took it into the shop and they asked, I remember the artist at the time was Martin, he owns Lucky Stars. Uh-huh. and The shop was called Pierce Inc. And Ralph and Martin come out and they're asking me what kind of mags I'm using. Uh-huh. They're like, are you using fives or sevens? And I had never heard of a mag.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And I said, uh, I just use threes. Uh-huh. And they said, you're doing all of this with a three? Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, and sometimes I use a single. You know what I mean? A Uh single and a three is all I have. Uh Um, So they're like, fuck, dude, that's amazing. Like, you know, how are you getting these gradients? Uh And all I was doing was just adding a little bit of water, Uh you know, to my black. Uh But I would have, it wasn't a breakdown.
2: Uh It wasn't
0: a breakdown. Like now you, you know, some people do eight drop, five drop, three drop, whatever. I was just dipping my black into water. Uh-huh. and then running it on the skin
2: uh-huh.
0: and it would be consistent you uh-huh. know i it would heal up and i'd be like oh wow it looks a lot smoother a lot lighter i like that i'm gonna keep yeah. doing that so i would yeah. just dip my black in a cup of water
2: uh-huh. to
0: get washes uh-huh. you know yeah so that's what i did and so they seen the artwork they liked it and brought me on board
2: uh-huh.
0: and that was my first professional shot i, st- I think i stayed with piercing for seven or nine years yeah My first professional shop job. Where were they at? Back then, they were at the Phoenix building in downtown San Jose, um, right next to Original Joe's. Oh, The Phoenix building is not too far from Original Joe's, so it was right there. Back then, downtown was live. Yeah. You know, they had Sofa Fest and all that stuff Uh and tons of clubs and Uh clothing stores, like it was a lot busier back then, uh-huh. you know, downtown. The, they had the metro bikes where they were carting people all over downtown yeah. to go to different clubs and stuff. It was really yeah. cool. But yeah. not no more. It's not like that no more.
2: Yeah.
1: It's uh, downtown. I love downtown San Jose, but, yeah, no, it's definitely not like that.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So they like, gave me my first shot.
1: That that That's cool. Um, and who who was all tattooing there then?
0: Well from what i understand martin was their exclusive artist okay right i think he had been with them for a number of years and previous to martin tattooing you got to get martin on here too because martin's been tattooing for years in san jose um but from what i remember martin sharing with me um that he was like a chef before he got into tattooing okay he was a cook and stuff like that and um had hustled his way you know because he was always an artist as well and doing like a album cover art and uh-huh. doing a lot of designs for silk screens and stuff like that. He, uh-huh. he was a great artist, great artist. Um, but he gave me my big break, him and Ralph from Pierce Inc. Ralph was a piercer, but he was sort of like the shop manager, uh-huh. sort of had all the say in the shop. Uh-huh. And he gave me my break. He's like, as long you're going to see, he yeah, let me know from the gate, like you're going to see stuff in this shop that's probably you've never seen in your life as far as people being on a physical level. Um, because this shop is owned by a group of lesbian women. Uh-huh. I don't know what the correct terminology is now. I know uh-huh. a lot of things have changed. He's like a lot of homosexual men come into uh-huh. the shop to get pierced. Uh-huh. As long as you're not uncomfortable, then we'll give you a shot. And I uh-huh. said, Matt, I don't care. I just want to work. Yeah. So they gave me my first um, shop job, and Martin is the one who educated me on really good structure as far as this is how you draw a tattoo flash this is what makes tattoo flash and this is how you build needles and i remember martin showed me how to solder up needles because back then it was very pricey to order needles you uh-huh, know uh-huh. it's not like today where you could order a box of 50 bags for 20 bucks right now back then it was a lot more expensive
2: uh-huh.
0: it was very tedious to make your own needles but you would dedicate like a few days out of your month to just building enough needles to last you the next three months, uh-huh. you know? Um, so I remember Martin sitting me down and he said, I'm gonna show you once, so try to absorb it because uh-huh. I'm not one for teaching. Uh-huh. So I remember studying, like just paying attention to uh-huh. exactly the steps, you know? Here's uh-huh. the jigs, this is what you're gonna do. Uh-huh. Don't go so far down because then it's gonna do this or do that. He was, he was very good at explaining it to me. I soaked it up and Made my own needles for years, yeah. you know. Yeah, so that was very good. He educated me a lot on you know pigment and uh-huh. you know the biggest thing was tightening up my drawing, you uh-huh. know, because I had never explored any other artwork outside uh-huh. of Chicano artwork. Uh-huh. When I would look at American traditional or tribal at that time was very popular, to me it was just not my forte. Uh-huh. You know, I thought it looked cartoony, flat, weak. Uh You know, I didn't like it. It just Uh wasn't for me. Uh But being in that environment, every walk of life walks through the door. Uh And I got a quick understanding, like, you want to be broke? You want to make some money today? Uh You're going to have to accommodate what walks through the door. Uh You know, and every day, every hour of the day, that shop was very busy. Uh it might be chinese kanji the next might be some handwriting the uh-huh. next is a dragon head the uh-huh. next is a spider the next is a wolf head with a uh-huh. moon behind it it was different every hour yeah so it really tightens you up especially if you're in a busy walk-in shop you, yeah you really got to buckle down
1: yeah so you, so you got a lot of a lot of walk-ins then because downtown was so vibrant
0: yeah yeah, yeah uh, and they had a good reputation. Piercing had a very good reputation, and they owned so many shops, especially in the Seattle, Washington area. They had, like, uh-huh. seven piercing and tattoo studios out okay. there. So they had a good reputation. They were known in that community, you know, uh-huh. the gay community, so they never had a shortage of clients. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know too much about the owner's history. Uh-huh. Um, I think her name was Sharon. Um, But, yeah, they were very busy with tattoos, very busy with piercings. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, did good.
2: Yeah.
1: did Good. That's awesome. All right, everybody, you know, the drill, if you love tattoos and you love San Jose and you are loving this show, tattoo 408, here are some awesome things you can do that'll really help the show out. First, the easiest, go tell all your tattoo loving friends and family about it leave a 5 star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's going to take you 10 seconds. If you're buying products at saniderm.com, s a n i d e r m.com, you can get soaps, balms, bandages, gloves, anything you need to help heal your tattoo. Use the code TATTOO408 T A T T O O 408 at checkout. And of course, follow us on Instagram, and TikTok, and YouTube. It's all tattoo.408. If you send your address in a DM, I will mail you some stickers. Thank you so much to Rob for taking the time to come out to San Jose and do this interview. The second half of the interview will be released next week, Wednesday, November 8th. Big thank you to Tessia Spizak for our logo. Check out her work on Instagram. She's at TrashSack69. And thank you to Mint Beats for our intro and outro music. Tattoo408 is produced by me, Ethan Gregory Dodge, and is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. Wasn't that a mouthful? Anyway, see y'all next week. Later.